Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 190. We are closing in on the 200 mark. This episode is with the Head of Academy Sports Science and Conditioning at Swindon Town, Kyle Taylor. We had a great discussion um, with Kyle. He spoke about loads of great topics, but the first thing in this in this podcast is just the honesty that Kyle portrays. Like he went into some great stories, great experiences, um, all around his early career. He's only twenty three, so starting out in his career, pretty much landed this job at Swindon from the hard work he's put in at the roles he's had previously. Like he mentions in the podcast, we spoke about making the most out of internships and some of the advice that he would give a younger Kyle as well, going back a few years. We spoke about some of the intricacies, some of the differences or similarities between his time at Marine and Tramia, and also his current role at Swindon now. Some of the key responsibilities in his role, and then also the approach going into his new role as well. He also went into some great detail and experiences around collecting data for purpose, with some academy players as well. So I think that was a key part of the discussion in this podcast as well. So a big thank you to Kyle for coming on the episode. Please, as always, head over and leave us a iTunes review. It only takes a couple of minutes, but it helps the podcast out massively. So if you've not done that, I really would appreciate it. And then just a heads up to our upcoming networking event. First few tickets have gone for this event and there are actually limited spaces at this one. Tuesday the 21st of June, we are down at Go Perform in Reading, 6 till 9pm. We've got two brilliant uh, presentations from Ollie Harrington and Callum Stratford, both at Reading Football Club. Um, So I hope you can join us for that one if you're down in the Reading area or there or thereabouts. Come and join us for an evening of of networking. You'll meet some great practitioners and obviously you'll get to see the guys speak and also visit the the facilities down at GoPerform, which look brilliant as well. So tickets are still available for that one. Just go to footballfitfed.com and click the shop tab and you'll be able to grab yourself a ticket there. Just before we get into into the episode... Just a huge, huge thank you to our sponsors. First of all, Black Box Fitness. Black Box are the world's best training equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Black Box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle. Continually seeking your highest performance in the gym, on the pitch, at home and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best and Black Box has you covered. So go and check them out on social media at BLK Box Fitness. And then also a huge, huge thank you to Rezzle. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezzle and Player22 can create game-style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. And they are at Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L, over on social media as well. And then just finally... Huge thank you to Hytro. Have you tried Hytro, the wearable blood flow restriction solution that is unlocking better recovery in players? While many may have used BFR for rehab, Hytro are demonstrating the huge impact BFR can have on recovery and performance when used after competition or training. Through their innovative design, BFR straps are integrated into shorts, delivering BFR to groups of players safely and more conveniently than ever before. So go and check them out, hytro.com, H-Y-T-R-O.com. 
or email Warren Bradley at Warren at Hytro.com to find out how Hytro can help accelerate the recovery of your athletes. And also, if you want more information about Hytro, just search for Warren Bradley and the Football Fitness Federation podcast because he did come on the podcast and go into detail around BFR and the brilliant work they're doing over at Hydro as well. So um, go and check that episode out. And also just keep an eye out because Warren may be appearing at an event coming up very, very soon, which I'll be bringing you some more information on very soon. So keep an eye out for that one too. Let's get into the podcast now. Episode 190 with the Head of Academy Sports Science and Conditioning at Swindon Town, Kyle Taylor. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 190 and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Head of Academy Sports Science and Conditioning at Swindon Town, Kyle Taylor. Kyle, how are you? Not too bad, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on, mate. I know we've got, uh, we've got a little bit to cover in this podcast, so I want to start on you and your story so far. So can you give us the breakdown, where you've been, what you've been up to, it's led up to the role at Swindon? Well, you've been here for quite a while, mate. Um, <laughs> basically, yeah, started off like everyone, playing football, not very well. Um, 16, going through um, high school and stuff with my local team back home in North Wales. Um, got to the point where did my A-levels and stuff like that, wanted to go to uni. Um, I was like, what is this sports science thing? It's got sporting, I like sport, right, I'll go for it and probably end up being like a PE teacher or something at the end of it. Um, got there, long story short, first year f- for a lot of people who know me, didn't go the best because I was just out all the time and basically <laughs> pretty much failed. Um, so I had to reset a few, <laughs> reset a few things. Um, Hang on, is that, that- is that not doing first year right, to be fair? Well, you'd think so, but when your mates are... Uh, going out and doing all like proper things like internships. And I'm like, right, I'm just going to have a good time. Um, and then have to reset everything when they've left for the summer. You, you kind of reflect on that and think, right, maybe I didn't do it too well. Um, could have had a bit more balance, but no, it was good. And then kind of off the back end of that, I spoke to my mates, um, my close mates and like, yeah, you can't do that again. Like you're going to actually have to put in the work now. I was like, yeah, fair enough. So then that kind of flicked the switch. Um, and then me and my friend, Sam, saw this application to go work as a like an intern performer, performance analyst over at Wigan Warriors. Um, so Dave will know this well. I went in there as a really shy lad off the back of pretty much failing first year going into a sport I'd never heard of. Um, and kind of somehow blagged my way in. Um, so I was there twice a week working the first team and then assisting with the academy and stuff for what turned out to be a year as an analyst. And then kind of at the end of that, I thought, it's been really good working with like pro pro athletes, but um, I can't really stay at a laptop and just code and record sessions. So I kind of saw what the they were doing in the gym, and then from there, I just asked, would I, would I be able to kind of do that type of thing, whatever that is? And they were like, yeah, sure. Like if you want to drop down to the scholars and go see what they're doing and do that for next year, then that would be great. So at that point, I kind of. Went, got in touch with Darren Marsh, where me, me and Darren kind of got together, sat down and said, that's what I want to do. And then did that for quite a while. Long story short, COVID happened alongside uh, the kind of integration where I ended up at Trammer. Um So my two mates that I was speaking to at the start, they were at Trammer doing um, the academy stuff. The two of them got to a point where I think, that wasn't where they wanted to go. They were kind of looking at more online coaching, one-to-one PT, and they just tried getting me in because they knew I was key. 
Um, and from there, COVID happened. So I was in for like the first three, four weeks and then COVID hit and everything shut down. So got to that point, finished my degree in Morecambe with my missus. Um, and then kind of the conversations there where Hodgie came in and was just like, look, these two lads are kind of going. Would you want to come in and take it a bit more seriously? And I was like, yeah, great. Jumped at the opportunity. And then from there, I was pretty much in full time, four or five days a week whilst doing my master's um, at John Moores. And then it kind of fast forward to that point, I was loving it in every day of pre-season. And then during the season, I was in there all the time, doing little bits and bobs, helping with the first team, helping the academy. Um, and then it got to a kind of point where got to playoffs, lost. And then this year, it's Swindon, got to playoffs, lost. <laughs> so hopefully next year will be the one. Um but no, it's 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 been quite a crazy couple of years actually when I think about it. Well, like I was saying to you off air, then I'm only 23 and it feels like I've been doing it for ages of like four, nearly four and a half, five years now. Um, which in respect of it's I'm still quite young and I'm here thinking I should be way further than I am. Um, so then off the back of that, a job came up at Swindon. It's quite a funny story actually. <laughs> I, I applied for it. I didn't hear anything back. I thought, oh, here we go again. It's probably one of them other jobs that you don't hear back from and nothing happens. And I got a phone call out of nowhere off Ricky. Um, so Ricky's the head of sports science at um, Swindon. He was like, hi, mate. I'm just wondering if you're coming for an interview tomorrow. I was like, what interview? <laughs> and I was like, I've not had anything. And he goes, what do you mean? And I was like, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't think I'd even been in the running for the job type thing. So then long story short, I was meant to have the interview the next day and we rescheduled it. And then, yeah, just somehow ended up four and a half, four hours down down south for the first time in my life and been there for the past three months. Brilliant, mate. I think you might have skipped a job in there, though. Was there not a, some opportunity with Marine as well? Oh, yeah. I forgot about them. <laughs> See, I've done my brain's on overload. I've been doing that many things. I've uh, completely forgot about them. But no, that I think uh, what I was wanted to speak about there as well is that that initially I went in for the first two months towards the end of the season I was trying to be a bit sneaky when I was playing Spurs I was like do you need any help Alan so Alan's the assistant manager over at Marine and he's also the academy manager now at Tramere so I was like Alan do you need any help like getting ready for it and stuff he's like oh you know Covid bubbles all this stuff so then at the end of that they were like right come in at the end of the season and then we'll see what we can do next year so then off the back of that I kind of went in pre-season um, didn't really know what to expect. Obviously saw him against Spurs and I thought, oh, non-league, you know, they, what this standard's not going to be great here. They're probably not going to listen to a thing I say. And then you get there and you realise some actual ballers in that team. Um, and it was a great, you know, non-league non environment part-time for me really gave me a kind of platform to develop because I was working with academy athletes for so long and then going and flipping the switch to the other side where, you know, performance is matter you know fatigue's gonna creep in we play I think we played what was it now I think we played like three games a week for the first 10 weeks of the season it was ridiculous because for some reason we kept winning in all the cups that we were in so we were, <laughs> we were going forward in the trophy and then we were going forward in the prelim rounds of the FA Cup to where we played Wrexham and that was quite funny because obviously as you know Owen's there and me and Owen kind of know each other before and from when he was at Salford and I was at Tramir and we played against each other in the FA Youth Cup when he was at Salford. And so he came out top there and then played each other with the Wrexham game. And I thought I had him for a minute. And then um, 
they scored a 97th minute free kick out of nowhere um, and took it to the second leg where we knew we were going to have a chance there. But it was really good. Um, and in terms of kind of moulding a department that wasn't even there, you know, Richie, um, don't know if you know Richie, but Richie was there at, at, at the meantime as kind of a physio slash warm-ups guy slash strapping slash everything, you know, like you've said, for a lot of people wearing multiple hats. So I think me coming in and working with him kind of gave it a bit more, right, we're doing this properly. This is kind of where we want to be. We want to get pushed up the ladder. Um, and then obviously, unfortunately for me, I left three months ago before I got to see them go up through playoffs. So I think the work that we did at the start of the season was was really good. And then keeping it through the season was even better to the point where, you know, you've got lads coming to you asking for stuff rather than you constantly chasing them. You know, where's the report from the weekend? Did we do better than last week? Um, and for a lot of other people trying to get GPSs on non-league players when they've only just got them, you know, you think people go, oh, F off, I'm not wearing them. Or a few sneaky, oh, I forgot my vest this week. But it's just creating that that bond with the lads, you know, like I was saying before, I'm only 23 and a lot of them, they're even my age or older. So it's just kind of getting the respect off the lads, um, you know, having a bit of crack with them, understanding that they're in part-time, they've got other jobs and it's not their life. But at the same time, keeping standards and working with Alan to kind of get them to where they needed to be. I'm hoping people sort of hear the pattern of what goes on with a lot of practitioners because the amount of people that have been on this podcast and others that have talked about opportunities in non-league and also the benefits of working with those players, hopefully by now it sort of sinks in that there's loads of opportunities and there's also loads of advantages of working with players because like you said, you're not going into amateur football like there's some proper players around those leagues and they want, and they also want to go up the leagues, don't they? So they'll do things to try and make themselves better players. The other, the other side of it, which I'd be interested to get your opinion on is when you're working with a full-time team, like you are now, and obviously like you were at Tramier, that's what their job is, isn't it? They're there as footballers. Yeah. When you've got a team like Marine, part-time teams, they, they want to perform at that level, but they've obviously got a load of other commitments, a load of other like jobs, some will carry like one, two, three jobs on the side as well. So it, in a way, it develops you even more as a practitioner, doesn't it, with your skill set that you've got to try and get them to perform at that level to take on Spurs and teams like that. Yeah. But they've also got all this other stuff going on in the background, haven't they? Yeah, it's, it's mental. I think I, th- I think around the Spurs game, it came out where, you know, Niall scored a goal against having a Waterlooville and they're like, oh, well, he's a teacher. And then you've got like James Barrigan, who's a binman. What people don't see is the fact that he probably starts work around five in the morning. There's been times where we played in Workington three times away in the same week. We played Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. On the Tuesday, we didn't get back till about half one, two in the morning. He's back in work at five. You know, it's that dedication of players who, you know, have dropped out the system in the football league. You know, you've got lads that have just come out of it. You've got lads who have been out of it for a while and are enjoying playing non-league. And then you've got the type of lads like, you know, have dropped out but really want to be climbing that ladder again and it's great to be working with a variety of them types of characters because you've got because you've got some sort of seasoned people who understand the, the environment that they're in you've got some people who are new to it and kind of miss the full-time aspect um, and the structure of full-time when they're in that part-time environment and then you've got people who've just been in there and know the day-to-day stuff um, so it's good because I think a lot of the time when a lot of people from uni look at them experiences of non-league and they go, 
you know, it's non-league. I'd rather go work at the likes of Liverpool or Everton. You know, they want that name on their CV rather than taking a few steps down, honing the skills at a lower level. Because I think, I think I've said it to you and I've said it to quite a few people at the point now where I've been able to work with less equipment, less resources, have more connection with players, understanding of players to the point where further down the line in five, six, seven years, where hopefully I get to a point where I've got the resources and, you know, I've, I've got all the toys and the gadgets where you want to play with. You're not just relying on them. You're still working on the fundamentals and the basics that you've learned at the non-league level or part-time with different clubs. Um, and I think sometimes you see that come through when people have come out of university and they're like, right, where's my gym aware? Where's my GPS? Where's my monitoring tools? And it's like, well, you don't have any here. You know, we only train. We At one point we were training once because we were playing on a Tuesday and playing on a Saturday. So, you know, when people, right, we need to get this in on, on Thursday, it was like, let them recover from the Tuesday and just let them understand what they need to do on the Saturday. And, you know, that's it. And if any of them want to do any extras on the Wednesday after the game, any top-ups or anything like that, yeah, I'd send them out. But it's not a case of going, right, well, I don't have this, we can't do it. Um, it's a case of trying to find other ways, you know, whether it's just have, having a chat with them rather than trying to get some sort of Nordic test done. Um, and, and that's kind of the point where we got on it and it worked for quite a long. Um, and again, it was unfortunate that I didn't get to see them go up, but then I transitioned to another environment where we do have the toys and we do have the gadgets now. And it was good to kind of transition into that as well. Yeah, brilliant. I wanted to just revert back to your time at Chamier on the internship as well, because I I like to speak to people. I hope there's plenty of people that are either looking towards an internship, maybe on an internship right now. Mm. And um, we sort of joked about the first year of uni and not making the most of that first year. But internships a lot of time get blown out as well, don't they? Like people waste the time that they have on those internships. So on reflection, what, what is the sort of, approach that you would advise people to take going into an internship that make them get the most out of it? I think for a lot of people nowadays, and since I've got into this role, I've seen it a fair bit. um, A lot of people just go, right, I'm applying because I've got an internship or replacement that needs fulfilling via the university, rather than reaching out before the season starts and saying, right, I want this internship because I want to do it for me rather than ticking boxes for a university placement hours type thing. Um, because for me, that was the big thing. Like I've, I've always loved football and I was working in rugby at the time. And when I had the opportunity to go in, I didn't do it because I was on placement at John Moore's because the placement wasn't until another year. So I'd gone in because I wanted to work in football. Um, I was lucky enough to obviously meet Hodge there. And what we ended up being able to do is, and what he's kind of done beforehand is work with the students really well and give them independence and responsibility rather than, going in and just feeling like they're just a pair of hands that can just do what they're told. Like you have that independence, you have to be proactive. And I think that's the best way to be because if you're not, um, it sounds horrible, but you're probably not going to understand and make it in sport. You know, a majority of the time you're not getting paid and you can either look at it and go, I'm not getting paid. I'm not going to put any effort in. Or you could look at the other way, which I happen to do. And, you know, I'm not getting paid, but down the line, I'm going to have two years, two and a half years, of really good hands-on experience at a good club, working with the first team and the academy, and then kind of be able to go elsewhere and go, look, this is this is what I've done the past two years, rather than go in with an expectation that, you know, I, I'm there, I should have a job at the end of it, even though I've not done the work or put in the effort 
beforehand. I think a lot of the time that's kind of what you see nowadays is people have the expectation that they go on an internship and by the end of it, they should have a job where, like you're saying, if you don't go in and make the most of it and be proactive and put the hours in and say, right, can I come in on an extra day rather than just stick to the one or two days that you've been told to come in? So, right, can I do this extra bit? Do you want me to do this? Um, can I come in on the recovery day and help with any of the lads that you need? Um, do you need filling up water bottles? Do you need collecting cones? Do you need anything? It's it's not just what people think of, right, I'll do the gym session, I'll do the pitch session and I'll go. It's the culture around the club as well, which was massive at Tramir. You know, filling up water bottles, helping the kit man. Again, you know, it's a full-time environment, but you still have to wear multiple hats as well. So chatting to the lads, how was your week? Not just coming in, doing a, g- a gym session, doing a pitch session and then kind of thinking, right, that, that's it for me, I'm off home. Can you stay a bit later and help the first team sports scientist? I think those days in pre-season where Hodge was telling me to leave because <laughs> I was there that long. It, I, I vividly remember, I think it was the first day of my first week that I was there. And I'd never used GPS before. And I don't think he'll mind me telling the story. I hadn't, I hadn't used GPS before. And I was going, I stood there with this kind of half broken laptop, plugged into a massive screen, plugged into the units. And I was thinking, what on earth am I doing here? Just like trying to make it up as I'm going along, getting up YouTube. And then it got to the point where he came in and he was like, Kyle, at six o'clock, you've been here since seven in the morning, mate. Just go. Like, do you know what I mean? Come back tomorrow and sort of tomorrow. And I was like, no, no, I need to do it. I need to do it. And it got to a point where, you know, I was that obsessed with trying to do well that, you know, it came to a point where me and Hodgie got, got to a really good relationship and we were able to work well. And the interns that came in alongside were able to see that and kind of understand the environment that they were in, which is really good. And I think a big thing that so he spoke about in the podcast that he was on about culture and microcultures. And that's something that I take with me um, everywhere I'd go. And that's one of the big things I've learned is, you know, creating a culture where you've got standards and stuff like that. That's kind of the underbelly, which drives performance long-term. You know, it's all well and good having these peaks and troughs of going, right. You know, we've got an FA cup game next week. We're going to really put the work in. And then the week after you're like, right, yeah, I'll just have a bit of an easy week now. And then, the week after it's it's about having people around you like Alan as well at Marine. He was massive. Like I said before, there's times where it is going to get tough and you're thinking I'm not getting paid and I'm doing all these hours. And I definitely hit that at one point. And I was thinking, how long can I keep doing this for? You know, I'm, I'm trying to get jobs and I'm not doing it. And he just turned around to me and goes, what are you moaning for? Like, <laughs> what are you moaning for? Like, just get on with it. Like you're in a privileged position here where you're working in football. You know, you could just be working somewhere else but you're here and you're getting on with it and you've got talent, then just get on with it. And I was like, yeah, you got a point really. I need to stop feeling sorry for myself. And I think that's a massive thing. Like the big thing and the big takeaway I kind of say after all this waffle is just kind of go in there, be interested in what you need to do, help out as much as you can and be attentive, be proactive because at the end of the day, the people you meet within that environment you may meet them at another job two, three years down the line where you're putting an application into them. And they, their last memory of you was he was lazy. He couldn't be asked. He turned up one out of two days. He was pulling sickies. If you're applying there in that role, you're never going to get the job. Um, impressions last. And I, I've learned that. The other thing with that is like, you'll know this better than anyone. You can, you've got a link with anyone in football between about one person, haven't you? So yeah. the types of Hodgie, like if you, reach out to him and you want to get hold of whoever it is at another club, 
you probably can. And they yeah. can do the same when you're applying for a role. Turn around and say, Andy, what, what was Kyle like? Mm-hmm. And it can be either this review where it's great or it can be the opposite. Yeah. So it's, it's going into it, isn't it? With that in mind, that essentially you're creating not a CV that you're going to write down, but you're creating a CV and a, and a profile within the industry, aren't you? With every little thing that you do from internships to the first opportunity, right into whatever you end up doing. And I think that's the important thing. That's the mindset, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's crucial because like you're saying, it's all well and good having a paper CV. But I've noticed a lot in terms of recruitment and jobs, a lot of people are going to hire people they like and they know and they want to work with because it's, it's long hours and it's long weeks. And if you're working with someone that you're not particularly like or that not really good at their job, it's going to grind you down over time. So it's like you're saying, having that CV or that network of people where they can just ask, oh, right, his name's cropped up. He's worked at this club. Oh, was he here when you were here? What's he like? Oh, you know, hopefully you've done a good enough job where they'll put a word in for you. And then it's down to you to get that job or to make that impression on that next person. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to touch on some of the uh, differences, some of the intricacies between your previous roles at Marine and Tramier, obviously being more first team based. I know you did some other stuff with the academy as well. Um, But going into this role now in terms of just academy and maybe some of the key responsibilities, if there are some similarities in there, but possibly some of the differences as well, because it's something that's come up in the last few podcasts Mm. is the experiences of working at first team level and academy level. Um, so is, is there anything that jumps out in terms of that for you? I think massively to, to kind of start with the, the one that you probably hear the most is when you're at a first team, whether it's non-league or an elite environment, it's so competitive. It's competitive for places. It's competitive game per game. And that kind of environment breeds itself. Um, you know, people are fighting for places. I want to be the starting right back. I want to be the starting centre mid. And you have to not just keep all the players happy, but you kind of got to manage situations at times where, you know, players have come to you, right, why aren't I playing? I'm like, right, well, I know I'm not meant to say anything here. So I was like, oh, you know, go go ask the gaffer, where is it? Academy level, you kind of need to create that atmosphere sometimes. Um, And I found that a lot where, you know, because academy level, the main aim is developing players to kind of push on to where they need to be down the line. I feel like sometimes that competitive nature of wanting to win isn't kind of there. And I feel that's crucial. And again, going back to culture, you know, when you go into a place and you can't see that kind of culture and them standards and people don't really want to work for each other, they don't want to win. The big thing that I found from going from Marine and Tramir to then going to Swindon was, you know, that kind of culture wasn't there within the academy. And it was just going in and my first point point of call wasn't to try and implement any new sort of physical program or change it. It was just to kind of create the culture. Again, going from what I learned with Hodge and what I'd learned before and what I've seen at Marine at Tramir, you know, creating winners. Not to the sense where they're going on a small side of game and kicking lumps out of each other on a Friday to start on a Saturday, but to the point where they want to have that healthy winning culture, whether it's on head tennis before a training session, whether it's in the gym doing an bigger jumps in the morning, whether it's winning a small-sided game and training session. You know, them little things actually matter over a period of time. And when you go onto that pitch, everyone's got the same mindset of, right, even though it's development football, we need to make a case of, you know, we're developing downtime. The same time, I think, personally for me, is 
Do you want to develop winners? No, no one wants to grow up losing football. Do you know what I mean? No matter how young you are. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I used to hate losing. Mm-hmm. So going to the point where, you know, I take my bias out of it and going back from the Marine type of thing where every win was massive. And you'd probably speak to anyone that was on that bench. They hated me because every time we won, I was absolutely going monk bonkers. Um, but again, it's that different change like if I try doing that at an academy level I don't know look at me going what is he doing here like well done you've won a development game one nil so it's keeping that kind of that in control but also still helping the ego a little bit and going right you know we we've we've won here like enjoy it lads you know don't go over the moon and go crazy but you've won like um it's it's taking them little wins as well I I think it's massive and again the culture is huge um but another kind of big change as well, going from Tramir to Swindon is when I was at Tramir and Marine, I was working at Tramir, Marine, a gym, my online stuff. So I was working in between four jobs. So it was hard for me because I was never really always able to be in different mindsets or different hats at one time, especially working within an academy on a Saturday morning. As soon as that game finished, I was straight off to a first team game of Marine. So you're constantly spinning plates and then you've got to think, right, I'll get home, do all the data for the both games. Then I've got to see my own clients. And then I've got to go to the gym the next morning. Whereas now it's, I go in at seven in the morning. I don't leave till seven at night, but I'm in the same place and I'm actually working across under 18s now all the way down to the under nines. So it's, it's really good for me because I think when I went in, having not worked in a category three before, it, it was quite interesting because in my head, from Tramir, where it's just an 18s and a first team, I thought, right, that's that's all I kind of need to do here. Replicate what I've done at Tramir and then make that successful. And I got in and I saw the 15s were good, the 16s were good, the 14s were good. But then they all kind of had limiting factors where, like we said previously, whether it's they're only in the gym once a week, well, we could bring them in twice a week. And the only difference that would be is just going in more. But I've got the time now. Because, like I said previously, like I moved four hours downstream to go to Swindon. So all I do there in the week is work. So I've got the time. Whereas beforehand, it was putting things in place where you didn't have the time because you only have a certain amount of time before you have to go to the next place and the next place and the next place. So I think working within that nature is a massive thing for me as well. Now, it's brilliant to see so many practitioners joining our football fitness community. We've had Coaches in the last few weeks joined from Averton Collieries, Yeovil Town, Galway United, FC Utrecht, Charlton Athletics. You can see that it's right across the football spectrum, different leagues, different countries, different levels. And that's what the community is all about. If you need to grow your network, which everyone does, meet other practitioners and you want the best quality information, football fitness or performance enhancement information there is about football, make sure to check out the Football Fitness Federation online community. If you've not done it already, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there, and you'll get one month free to see what it's all about. And then after that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward as well. You get continued access to everything on the site, including some brilliant stuff we've got coming up over the next few weeks. And you can also get added into our WhatsApp group where there's some brilliant discussions going on recently um, from, like I say, from coaches right across the football pyramid. So go and check it out if you've not done so already. The Football Fitness Online community, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there and join and interact with coaches right across the football world.
Let's get into part two of the podcast now with Kyle Taylor. Yeah, so I'd say probably two of the biggest challenges a lot of coaches face in terms of trying to implement their philosophy is time and facilities, isn't it? And we spoke off air before we started recording, but you have your own gym and you have the time available. So it's it's a good position to be in, isn't it, going into that role? Well, yeah, and again... Like like we were saying off air, like I think the main thing is once you get in there and you want to make an impression, like I've gone in um in a new role where no one knows me and I've it's the same thing like you're saying, you've got to make an impression on people. I think I did about 75 hours that first week. I didn't leave the place, but everyone knows then that oh right, he's he's actually come here to try and make a, ch- a positive change and put his kind of imprint on everything. And then it's the point where, like you're saying, it's about time and the facilities where we had both. So, you know. Why, why not get them in twice a week, every age group? Why, why not get the 18s in a bit later and keep them there and do a bit more development with them? Because I think a, a lot of the time, like you're saying with the time and the facilities as well, it's kind of the, the want to do it. Um, a, a big topic in football, S&C especially, is you don't get paid massive amounts for doing certain amount of jobs sometimes. And it's having that, that character and that sort of willingness to want to do a good job that gets you through it. You know, you, you, I've got a lot of friends who are, don't work in football and they think, well, oh, you must be like having a great time. You're always there. It's like, yeah, I do. I love my job and I love doing all the work, but sometimes, you know, they do their nine to five and they probably get paid like nearly double what I do. But it's that job satisfaction and that wanting to do well, that kind of, you've got to knuckle down and go, right, I'm putting in all these hours because my aims aren't monetary, even though partly I need to still live. But I want to progress players through the academy and go, right, they're fit enough to play at this level. Um, and I think that's a massive thing as well, because especially as an intern, you go through going, right, I want to get paid. But then when you get a job, you can't then turn around and go, I'm not getting paid enough now, so I'm not going to do enough work. And I think you see that a lot, um, not from interns, but from also practitioners where they go, right, I don't feel like I'm worth X or Y, so I'm just not going to put the work. And it's like, well, no, you know what you're getting yourself into when you sign the contract. So go in there, make a stamp and do your job type thing. I think that's the main thing that I've kind of learned as well is, you know, speaking from people in other professions, they don't understand it sometimes. You know, how are you doing so many hours? Do, you know, is that overtime? It's like, what, what, what's that? <laughs> do you know mm. what I mean? Overtime in my head's putting all this work in and seeing that result on the weekend um, and seeing a player go through the 14s, 15s, 16s, the point where they're in the 18s and you've actually made a big change to their life, not just as a footballer, but as people. I think a bit, one of my big philosophies is not making footballers, it's making better people. So then better people make better choices to become better footballers as well. It's impact, isn't it? That's what you're talking about. You're talking about impact. And like you said, the, the financial side of it is still important. It's not to say you're going to work for free for the rest of your life because <laughs> you're not. And it's not, it's not sustainable. It's not something that anyone can do. But at the same time, the impact is is what you're after, isn't it? So the other thing I just wanted to bring up was what you just talked about a few minutes ago was that performance um, and development, those sorts of stages and the competitiveness. Because I think that's really important to bring up because when we do get to the performance age group or level where results matter or maybe they matter more, the competitiveness comes as that's natural, isn't it? That you, you're trying to win league games, you're trying to... Uh, win cup games, whatever it is. 
But I, I think it's really interesting what you brought up there about the academy and getting into the mindset of academy players because at the development ages, we're not saying that it's not competitive. We, we want them to be competitive, don't we? To yeah. develop themselves, and that's the development side of it. But maybe that it does fall into, oh, well, it doesn't matter so much because we're in the development stage. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, there's a, there's a balance there somewhere, isn't there, that to, in order to progress, there has to be that competitive element, whether that is against yourself. And like you mentioned before about jump scores and things like that, is it like, right, I'm going to be competitive myself to try and improve that? Or is it competitive because I'm versus you to take a position? Yeah. And, that, and that, it's a really interesting um, debate. And I'm not expecting like a, I don't think that's really a question even that I've answered, <laughs> that I've asked. But I think it's a really interesting area of discussion um, because it's not to say that there isn't that competitive element or shouldn't be that competitive element in those ages, is there? No, and I think as well as all the physical testing that we've kind of started to implement now um, at Swindon, again, you want to use it as physical markers and you want to be able to use data for purpose and not just collect data for data's sake. But I think sometimes they go hand in hand. Um, that's probably controversial. A lot of people are going to listen to this going, what the hell is this kid talking about? But like we do the jumps every morning for readiness testing. So CNS testing, average velocities and stuff like that. But at the same time, we do it to see where lads are at mentally as well. Are they actually dropping in score because of the physical markers or is it they've gone in, they can't be bothered. So they're decreasing. So I think that's where I, I kind of get a kick out of work there as a sense is a lot of people who've worked either with me or players that have worked kind of under me know what I'm like. I demand like high standards and I push people quite far and probably half of the time they think I don't like them, <laughs> but mm. it's to get the most out of them. And again, it's creating that competitive aspect where it's you v you, but it's also you versus the team on the weekend and it's we versus them. So it can be you v you in the gym where you've gone in one day on a Tuesday and you've hit a new PB and then obviously physical markers are going to change over time and it's creating that understanding and that education around them. But some of the times, especially on the Watt bike, if anyone's done a six second Watt bike test, most of that is mental, especially once you get to the third, third attempt. So it's pushing the people through them boundaries, not just for the sense of, Oh, well done. You've hit a new PB, right? What does that mean? Well, you're physically developing. No, it's, you've actually pushed through that mental wall in the gym. So when you need to make that last minute run at 90 minutes to go get a goal down the line, you know, you've got it in you rather than, you know, I'll take a draw. It's nil, nil, no, kill the game off, get down the line and score. Um, So I think that's very much kind of my mindset on things as well is again, pulling it back to, UVU and kind of the the performance side of things where you create a culture of healthy winning culture, not toxic where people are kind of undermining each other, where, you know, people are pushing each other, right, what did you get? Right, I'm going to beat you. Mm. 2.1, right, I'm going to get 2.2 or 2.3 or whatever it may be. So then the next person goes, I want to go again because they want to push themselves. And I think a lot of the times where you see players who make it from 18s to first team are the people who have that. Um, because I think that gets lost a lot of times. You see really gifted players at academy level, but they don't have that hunger to want to win and they don't have that hunger to want to push themselves where they're coming to you, right, what can I do to get past this level? What can I do to get past this level? 
where it's not you pushing them, they're pushing themselves and they're coming to you just, just to push them even more. Um, I think a lot of the time where we've had discussions as well as coaches, not just at Swindon, but other places, it's we can create an environment and we can coach them as much as we want, but we just give them the tools to push themselves to where they can physically get to or mentally get to or technically get to. You know, we can't ourselves make them better players. They have to find it in themselves to put the time in, go get the facilities and look for their education and the help to get to that next level where they want to go. And I think 99% of the time, the people who don't have that don't make it. And I'm not saying that's always a bad thing because some people have different reasons for be, wanting to be in football or wanting to be in sport. But I think that's where the psychology is massive nowadays. And that's where we, we especially at Swindon, want to educate players um, you know, we don't have the biggest resources, but what we can do is educate players on the right things, whether it's nutrition, whether it's the psychological side of the game, right? What are you actually in it for? Are you in it to make money? Are you in it to be a footballer? Do you want to be at the top? Are you happy to play it non-league? You know, do you want to be in football? Do you do it because you like the players you've been with and you've been with them since you were 14 and now you've just somehow found your way into the 18s? Whatever it may be, it's understanding what makes players tick and getting the best out of them, I think especially when I left uni, I've left uni with perspective of, you know, the fundamentals, the underpinning philosophies, how to do this, certain rep ranges. You get all that paper knowledge and that understanding of, right, this is why I'm doing it. But in the real world, I think a lot of the people who come out when they don't have that experience of internships or, you know, part-time placements, it's actually applying it understanding the individual that's in front of you or the team that are in front of you and going, right, am I going to get the best out of these? At Marine, it was, I'm not saying it was easy because they all wanted to win anyway. It was hard at times because you've got a lot of players who are part-time, some of them aren't playing and you've got to kind of go, right, I need you to do these runs. And they're going, I'm not doing these runs. I'm not playing. Like, what's that for? And I go, right, well, you, I'm not doing this as a punishment. I'm doing it to get you fit. So when you get a chance to come on and... 40 minutes into a next game, you're not going to come on, make a few mistakes, look unfit, and then Gaffer's going to go, right, that's why we're not playing you. Yeah? Doing these runs to keep you ticking over so that you can go, right, this is why I deserve this spot. And it, again, it's that education, that understanding of knowing the players in front of you to then turn around and put these things in place. And I think even being 23 and kind of having that perspective of things where it's not just, right, do this, do this, do this, it's knowing the players, knowing the environment, that kind of creates the culture that gets everything into line. And I think that's the big thing that I'll probably take away from everything. It's the, probably the one question we get sent through the most from like on social media is like, what courses should I do? And it's always like, maybe forget about the courses for a little bit and go and get yourself some experience. And it's not to say that you don't need them because mm -hmm. we do need, if, if people haven't done degrees or, and, and not got that education and the knowledge, obviously that has to come at some point. But it's, it seems to be the priority of a lot of people. They think you do a six-week course like, and then you, you're ready. You're ready to step into a role. And it's just not the case, is it? Like you, You've got to go through those hard times. You've got to make the mistakes. You've got to get, collect the experiences. Um, I just wanted to bring up as well what you said, because I think that was a great point just on the sort of psychological side of um, date, like data for purpose. Because regardless of what age is, obviously you're working 18 under nines, and you see you see testing and monitoring done at those younger ages as well and let's be fair like the scores they're getting at those ages you could pretty much throw away and then just forget about for the next few years but 
a lot of it is the them getting used to that process, isn't it? Yeah. And even at under nine, I'm sure you've seen it as well. You'll get a under nine to do a sprint or a test, uh, sorry, a jump or something like that. And you see a different mindset. Some kids are just doing it for the sake of doing it. And some mm-hmm. kids are going in it because they want to get as high as they can. They want to try and improve. And it's that really that you take away from it, isn't it? Not necessarily what it comes out in terms of a number. No, and exactly. I think that's a really, really good point. And then that carries right the way through to first team then as well, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think every every time I've gone in, whether it's at Tramier or whether it's at Swindon now, it's like, what do the first team do? And how can we replicate that to certain levels from the 18s, the 16s, the 15s? And it's like you're saying, you're never going to have the under nines doing everything that first team do, because that's just not life. You know, when you look at, you know, long-term athletic development and stuff like that, you'd probably get sacked if you started trying to do all that with the under nines, especially at a cat three. Um, so it's what snippets can we take out of that to, like you're saying, replicate not just the testing and say, right, you know, we've, we've collected these benchmarks for EPPP or we've collected them for ourselves. But like you're saying, in a few years' time, they're probably not going to mean anything like massive anyway. It's making it fun for the players as well and creating that culture where they're in the gym from a young age all the way to the 18. So we get the lads in at the gym at 13 to do circuits, to learn fundamental movements so that, when they get to the under-14s and they get a programme, they now know, right, oh, this is what a squat is. This is what a press is. You, you're already making them learn. So at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you're making the most of, out of the gym rather than, obviously, there's going to be continuous learning, but it's not always going to be the same sessions where, oh, what's this? What's this? What's this? How do I do this? How do I do this? Because the programme is working over multiple years when the players are coming through. They're seeing that next stage to the point where at 18s, we're at a level now where we want to pretty much replicate everything the first team do so that if any of them get the chance to play in the Papa John's or any friendlies or go to train with them, that's the level they know they need to be at. Because I think, especially again on the psychological side of things, because the players aren't exposed to the competitiveness and not just the yeah, kind of the ruthlessness at first team level, they go up there, they come back and they, they get broken because they don't, they didn't know that's where they needed to be because they're kind of kept in this bubble of development football sometimes. Um, I think again, the way that kind of Swindon have done it since I've come in as well, where players are going out on loan to men's teams, you know, whether it's step eight, step seven, some of them have been conference North conference South. They're getting a taste of that competitive aspect of football and they're understanding. Oh, right. That's what this is like playing against men who, you know, just want to kick you and win. Um, I think it's huge because, again, you see players that go up, you see them come back and they go, oh, I didn't, didn't expect that. Like, I've done three bad passes and people are on me. You know, they're not they're not on you because they don't like you. They're on you because they want the most out of it. And it's understanding that in their heads because a lot of the time they take it quite personal. Um, but I think if you can groove that and you can develop that psychological side of the game, for a lot of people, that's going to get the most out of them sometimes. Class. Awesome, that. Really, really good. I want to um, get into some of the quick-fire questions because, yeah. like I mentioned, Kyle, at the start, I've sneaked an extra one in because I, I, I think it's the important one. I'm going to test it out on you I'll take um, it. and see how it goes. So it could, we could keep it. We could ditch it. The pressure's on you. We'll see. Um, but I always start, mate, with so I know you've mentioned a few people already, but who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? I'd say obviously you've heard his name about 50 times now. Um Hodgie, Andy Hodgins, probably the main one for me. Um 
especially at Hodgie and Allen as well, you know, at Tramere, at Marine, at everything, whether it's personal stuff that I've gone through, whether it's professional development stuff that I've gone to, you know, Hodgie's always kind of been there for me to bounce ideas off. Um, you know, he's given the trust to me sometimes to take stuff for the first team where, you know, there's been times where they've traveled away. He's gone, <coughs> sorry, he's just gone, right. Come in Tuesday, deal with the top up group. I'm not there. I'm away in Steven is you wherever can I trust you with it? And I'm like, Oh God, what? <laughs> oh God. But do you know what I mean? Like he's giving you that opportunity to go, right. You can either crumble under the pressure or you can take it and go, right. This is what I'm actually want to be doing over the next few years. Um, and he's always been there for me, no matter what. Um, especially when it got to the stage where I, t I let him know that I was kind of moving on. You know, he was really happy for me. And, you know, I'm going to catch up with him over the next few weeks. Now I'm back down in Liverpool for a bit and see him. And the same with Alan. You know, even though Alan's not an S&C coach, the amount of stuff I've learned off him about just football and football culture in general, you know, whether it's a small thing on my first week at Tramere where I was in pre-season and I set the warm-up up in a specific spot on the pitch. And then the next day I went to set it up in the same place. He goes, no, no, we don't do that, you know move it along every time so that you're not killing the same bits of grass, you know, because the groundsman will be happy and stuff like that. And I thought little things like that, that you only learn in the job, you know, are, are crucial and they give you a reputation of, especially in football where there's such a football culture, whether it's, you know, saying good morning to everyone in the morning, you know, treating everyone as equal, things that you don't think are massive things, respect um, and stuff like that. It's huge. And especially Ricky, now that I've gone into Swindon, and again, kind of touching on what you said before, the big change from Swindon and Tramere is at Swindon, they've got George Keane and, and Ricky McFarlane, who are, you know, the two S&C guys with the first team, whereas before I only had Hodge. So I've gone into an environment where there's now three S&C coaches and it's kind of understanding how to work in a big collective as well and push things through rather than I'll look after the academy and keep you updated and you look after the first team and then just let me know what you need. Now it's kind of a cohesive effort. Um, but then kind of three, four main people there, as well as all the uni tutors that have uh, had to put up with me, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, they've, they've been massive on me. And then the good thing, like you said before, is like you, you don't just network with them and you never see them again. You keep in touch with them. And then when you build a good enough relationship, they're actually invested and interested in what you have to say and how you're doing rather than, oh, I'll work with you, seeing a bit, I'll never see you again because you never know, down the line, I could end up working with one of them again. Definitely. Shameless plug, episode 177, Andy Hodgson. Go and have a, have a listen to that. Um, next one, mate. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, so when you look at this, you don't want to answer too quick because people will think, oh, you know, he's big of himself. But in reality, <laughs> I've just made a few notes of what I think it could be. Um, I think one is I'm just kind of really grounded. You know, I, st I started work when I was 15 as a chef. So 15 to 20, I was working in long hours as, sh as a chef every day. And it's kind of not similar to football, but it's the same kind of grind. I think from doing that and then going into football and going through uni and kind of going through a lot of other stuff, like I've kind of somehow developed this kind of perseverance through just going through things, right? Something's happened, right? I'll sort it. Something's happened, right? I'll sort it. Rather than something becoming this massive problem and, oh God, what do I do? It's just... All oh, right, something else has happened, right? Okay, right, let's just move on. Next thing, next thing, next thing. That kind of perseverance and that work ethic to I've never been the smartest person ever, 
but what I've been able to do is just put a lot of work in to learn things. Um, like, you know, you could speak to anyone I went to school with, they probably thought I'd never be anywhere where I am now. And I know a lot of people when I was in sixth form thought that and they were thinking, oh, what's he going to do? You know, he's doing PE, he's doing this, he's doing that. But then it's got to a point where I graduated my undergrad with the first, graduated my master's with a distinction. Never thought that would happen. I'm probably the first person out of the whole family to go to uni. So probably doing something right. But again, I'll probably just put it down to that perseverance and that work ethic to get me there and just keep me going. Class. That's awesome, mate. Um, what would, this is the new one. Oh, so pressure's on. <laughs> what would your top advice be to a young, I was going to say a young Kyle, but a younger Kyle since you're only 23. But yeah, going back a few years, I think this is really important. On reflection, like what would be your advice to younger Kyle? Um, I think, especially after speaking to Dave recently, so Dave obviously being the person who brought me in at Wigan to begin with, like I was speaking to him recently and it kind of made me massively reflect on how I was when I first started. Um, being that really shy, timid person, didn't want to speak to any of the players, thinking they'd have a go at me, you know, finding yourself in the office and not really wanting to speak to anyone. <coughs> um, you look at that and you think, well, I look at it now and I think that's such like a wasted opportunity to know all these people and get to really know all the coaches, you know. Um, especially, like we've said, going in, being proactive, I wasn't that at all. I went in, I was just been waiting to t- be told what to do. Um, so I look back at that and it was funny because I was speaking to Dave about it the other day, just going, hey, Dave, do you remember what I was like a few years ago? how on earth have I ended up where I am now? Do you know what I mean? And he was just laughing. He was going, oh, you know, you were good. You were just a bit shy. So uh, one of them. And I think that the main thing as well is things things are going to happen. And again, that building that perseverance, things are always going to happen, whether it's failing first year at uni and having to reset or going into a meeting with Carl at uni thinking you know everything. And then within five seconds, he tells you, you know, nothing. Um <laughs> And then you take a few steps back and you're like, oh God, right, okay, start again. It's th- These things are always going to happen. I think for a lot of the people who are similar to where I am, where you're like 21, 22, 23, really young, looking to get into the industry. I said this to you off air, like I kick myself sometimes because I think, right, I should be here. I should be at this level. I should have done this, this and this. But I'm only 23. I've still got to live my life. And it's like you were saying as well with uni, it's balancing things, you know, doing really well in professionally but still keeping your girlfriend and still having friends at the same time. Do you know what I mean? And it's keeping that balance. And so, yeah, I, th- I think balance for me, I've over time I've been able to learn it, but starting out, I had none at all. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. That's probably a whole different podcast. And we <laughs> sort of touched on it in the couple of episodes ago with John Noonan and Josh Fletcher um, I think there's some important discussions around that on there and really, really important things for people to consider. But yeah, really good point. Final one, mate. What's your approach to CPD or continued learning? Because everyone takes slightly different approaches. Like what's your approach to that? Well, I think, again, looking back to young Kyle um, and tying it in with this question, I used to just go off and find any course, no matter the relevance at all, and be like, right, I've now got a level two in nutrition and I've got this and I've got this and you slap it on my CV and think it's going to help me. But when, like you said, when you go into a meeting with Carl Langan Evans, who's a doctor and he's one of the most cleverest people, you know, and you have a conversation with him, he makes you realize them little CPD things sometimes that are pointless and you've just spent 120 quid on mean nothing. Whereas a, 
a conversation or a coffee with someone means the world and it's completely free. Well, I always say buy that coffee, but you know, mm. it's cheap enough as it is. But I think again, networking with people who you want to speak to, whether it's um, just people at the club, whether it's lecturers at uni and you want to catch up with them, like that's what I've started leaning towards as well as podcasts, you know, this podcast, Pacey Performance Podcast, um, and then just speaking to people in the industry. You know, I've had meetings with Connor Heaney over at John Moore's, James Malone, um, just meetings and coffees and stuff, and you learn so much from them. And it gives you so much perspective because like I said before, I always want to, I'm always thinking about where I want to be in the next five years and I completely disregard where I am now. So having them conversations with people keep you grounded because again, I, I had a chat with Rob about my master's degree and I said, I'm not going to lie to you by the end of it. I really couldn't be bothered with it anymore because it was all on zoom. Um, we never, we, we never really had any practical and it wasn't down to John Moore's. It was just down to the situation we were in with COVID. And I was, he was like, Carl, like, what are you on about? Like, you, you were great. You know, you came up with distinction. You produced really good bit of research. You know, you were at tram here all year working alongside doing a degree. You know, stop kicking yourself. And I think having them conversations with people you admire and people you respect are massive. And then I think, again, doing the courses that are relevant. You know, in the next few years, I want to be doing my UKSA. I want to be doing my bases. But it's doing them for the right reasons, not just because you think getting them is going to get you a better job or getting them is going to suddenly make you this amazing practitioner. You still got to put the work in because, you know, it's hard work and it's hard graft, but I think that's kind of where I am at this point of time. Quality, mate. This has been absolutely class, Kyle. Really, really appreciate you doing it. I hope there's plenty, plenty for people to take away in this one, which I think there is. I think you've covered absolutely loads, to be fair. And I appreciate your honesty as well, because you've gone into loads of sort of personal experiences and points of view, which are, which are really, really good and really, really beneficial for people to hear. Um, just do us a favour and just give us a little shout out to your socials or wherever you want. If people want to ask questions, like where would you direct them or do you know them? Is this the test? Um, <laughs> just probably, I would say search for your name. Yeah. Well, there's probably going to be 3,000 Kyle Taylors come up. Yeah, probably. Um, the best place to probably find me is Instagram um at kwt health and performance it's a bit of a mouthful but if you just put kwt and i should pop up you'll just see this big uh big face in the screen um but no it's been like a hour-long therapy session for me so i've really enjoyed it mate class mate well no no it's been top been really really good and i'll be uh keen and and tuning into results from next year and seeing how things progress with the program at swindon as well best of luck with it all and we'll stay in touch perfect mate thanks a lot it was brilliant to catch up with Kyle. I really, really enjoyed that chat and I hope you did too. You can go and check him out on social media. He's on Instagram, KW Health and Performance. You can um, go and follow him and connect with him on LinkedIn as well by just searching his name, name Kyle Taylor. And then also on Twitter, Kyle William Taylor. So go and link up with him. And if you've got any questions or any feedback off the back of the podcast, I'm sure he'd want to hear it as well. Um, takeaways on this one I think there's some really really interesting discussions the non-league advantages was one that stands out initially it's obviously something that has been discussed on most recent podcasts that we've had on recently with Andrea with um, Stephen Shaw as well the real advantages and the opportunities that are out there in non-league for practitioners to develop their skills and the toolbox Deve um, developing fundamentals as well is really important both as a practitioner but with players too 
Um, and that, that obviously, in that environment, the non-league environment, that allows you to do that. It builds that base. It builds that foundation level. And then he also spoke about development versus performance and the development phase in, through the academy, but also having that competitive edge and developing that through players. He spoke about testing and, and collecting data, but for purpose. And we also, we chatted about this actually after we stopped recording too. And I think this is really valuable that when we're collecting data on academy plays, it isn't so much about what actually comes out of that data. It's also about the process and, and watching players go through um, the process and the, the sort of approach they take psychologically to that process more than anything. And, and I think you can see that across different players and, and their attitude towards it as well. The psychological side of testing and monitoring, I think, is massive. And that's obviously something that Kyle underlined in the episode too. And then just finally, sounds a really obvious one, but don't waste opportunities. When you end up in an opportunity, whether it's an internship, whether it's a role, whether it's a conversation with a, with a coach or a practitioner, don't waste it. Like It's an opportunity. It's there. Try and take the most from it. And that's something, again, that when I speak to coaches, that comes across time and time again. And it's, it is really important to make the most of every single opportunity and every single conversation that you have. So that was episode 190. Absolutely quality work from Kyle. I really appreciate him doing it. Um, some brilliant, brilliant work going on. I know he's got some big plans for the programme at Swindon. So I'll be keeping an eye out for what's going on down there. And best of luck for next season as well. Keep listening to the podcast. Keep supporting us because I really appreciate every single listen. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 191.